All right, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We have been teaching through the book of Genesis. We, we believe that the book of Genesis is critical. There is a movement in Christianity today to uh, try to unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament, to say that the Old Testament is just a relic, it's, it, it doesn't apply anymore, uh, it's, it's not relevant to our faith anymore. Uh, you know, even some go so far as sharing the heresy that God is different in the Old Testament than He is in the New Testament. And here at Kauai Bible Church, we don't believe any of that. We believe that the entire counsel of the Word of God is the divinely inspired Word of God. All of it is still relevant. All of it is still life-changing. All of it is still powerful. And we're focusing specifically on the book of Genesis because we believe that as followers of Jesus, everything that we believe in our faith, we can find the foundation of it in the book of Genesis. And so it's important for us to understand our foundations and, and to understand uh, what our faith is built upon. And so this is actually part nine of the series. So if you've missed any of the other ones, you can go to our website or our podcast. But this is part nine of the series, but it's actually our fourth Sunday focusing on Abraham. And, and the story of Abraham is the father of our faith. And so we began talking about covenants and how covenants form the backbone of the biblical story, and how the Abrahamic covenant is critical to understand because it's an everlasting covenant. That means it still applies to us today. And then we looked at Isaac versus Ishmael, and we looked at the principle of the promise, that with every promise of God, there is a waiting period. And in that waiting period, we will either wait for God's best, and we will wait for the supernatural promise of God, or we'll try to produce things in our flesh. And for Abraham, Ishmael was trying to produce things in his flesh, where Isaac was the fruit of waiting for the promise. And then last week, we studied Lot and how Lot left the fellowship of Abraham. And when he left the fellowship of Abraham, he lost the blessings of Abraham and he experienced the consequences. And so we were encouraged last week to, um, to stay in fellowship and to continue to, to live in the blessings of fellowship. And so you can see by all those chapters up there that we've been jumping around a little bit as we gather the, the full breadth of the story of Abraham. And so today we're actually going to do our final message in the story of Abraham and it's going to focus entirely in Genesis 22. So if you've got your Bibles, we can go to Genesis 22. But today, we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac, and we're going to look at the test, a critical final test of the faith of Abraham. And what we're going to find here is that this test of Abraham's faith creates kind of a bookend of the story of Abraham. Now, after Genesis 22, there's still some other things that happen with Abraham. His wife, Sarah, dies. He makes sure to secure a bride for Isaac from his home family so that Isaac would not marry anybody from the land of Canaan. And then late in life, Abraham actually gets married again and has more kids. Um, and then eventually Abraham dies. So after Genesis 22, there's still a few more stories that, that involve Abraham. But Genesis 22 really creates the bookend with Genesis 12. Genesis 12 started the story of Abraham with a challenge to his faith and a covenant promise. And we're going to see now in Genesis 22 that the end of the story finishes with a challenge of his faith and the covenant promise. 
So let's jump into this. And we're going to see what God is going to teach us today about the test of Abraham's faith. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so you can see right here that verse 2 actually mirrors Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Because here, he kind of repeats himself three times. He says, your son, your only son, Isaac, right? Three times he tells him what the test is going to be and what the sacrifice is going to be. And in Genesis 12, 1, he said, I want you to leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house. Right? So that's set of three in the original challenge of his faith. And here in verse 2, he says, I want you to go to Moriah, and then I'm going to show you the mountain where you're going to offer up your son as a burnt offering. Whereas in Genesis 12, 1, he says, I want you to go to the land that I will show you. And here's the interesting thing, is God doesn't show you until you start the journey. Abraham had to leave his family home in his father's house and start the journey before God would show him where he was going. And here, Abraham would have to start the journey before God showed him which mountain he was supposed to go to. We got to start the journey, and then God's going to show us where he wants us to go. Now, let me just make an important side note here. God is not into child sacrifice. Verse 1 clearly says this is a test. God never intends for Abraham to sacrifice his child. Never anywhere in the Bible does God condone sacrificing a child. In fact, the only time that God condones human sacrifice is with his own son, when Jesus died for all of us. Human sacrifice and child sacrifice is always identified as sin. It's always identified as a part of pagan rituals, and God never condones it. So I just want to clear that up in case anybody is weirded out about the idea of God asking a man to sacrifice his own son. So in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You can only imagine Abraham. He's tied his son up, which wasn't necessarily a requirement of the burnt offering. But he ties his son up and he lays him on the altar. And then it says he stretches out his hand. I can only imagine as a father feeling like I'm being obedient to God, but I'm about to murder my own son, that maybe he stretched out his hand to hold his son down to make sure his son didn't move so that it would only take one strike to kill him. Or maybe, just maybe, he was covering Isaac's eyes as he stretched out his hand so that his son didn't have to see what was coming. But he stretches out his hand and he takes hold of the knife to slay his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So if you've got your bulletins with you, inside your bulletin is your sermon notes. And in your sermon notes, what I want to do today is I want to share six things we should know about the test. The test of Abraham's faith. Six things that God reveals to us as we we read this story. Number one is this. Nothing is off limits to God. Nothing is off limits to God. God can ask for anything. There is nothing in your life that God is not allowed to ask for. He can ask for anything. Why? Because he doesn't want anything to own you. And so with Abraham, he asks for the most precious thing in his life. And it's almost like God is rubbing in just how precious it is in verse 2 when he says, take now your son. And then he says, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Now, we know that Isaac isn't Abraham's only son. Abraham also had Ishmael. But by this point in the story, Ishmael had already been exiled. So Isaac is now the only son that is still at home, that is still part of the family. 
He says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. The very promise that you waited for for 25 years, the most precious thing you have, I want you to take it now and sacrifice it to me. Nothing is off limits to God. See, as important as Isaac was even to the story of God, as important as Isaac was even to Abraham, God needed to make sure that God was still more important. Because God doesn't want us to depend on anything more than him. God doesn't want us to consider anything as more important, anyone as more important. In fact, let's be honest, the root of most of our addictions the root of most of our destructive behaviors is because we are depending on something more than God. And we believe that that something, whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or another drug that we're addicted to, whether it's uh, reputation, whether it's our looks and, and, and how people perceive us, whether it's sexual sin, whether it's money, what, whatever the case may be, that thing that we depend on more than God becomes an addiction. It becomes a self-destructive behavior. And God doesn't want anything to own you. He doesn't want anything in your life to control you. And so he will take you through seasons in your life where he will take some of the most precious things to you and ask you to lay them on the altar just to know that nothing can control you. And here's the important thing. Just because he asks you to lay it on the altar doesn't mean he wants it to die. He never wanted Isaac to die. He just wanted to know that Abraham would lay him on the altar. So there might be a moment in your life where God asks you to put your marriage on the altar. And it's not because he wants your marriage to die. It's because he wants you to trust him with your marriage. He wants you to trust him that he will make your marriage whole, that he will make your marriage healthy, that he will make your marriage powerful for his kingdom. He might ask you to take a wayward child and lay them on the altar. And it's not because he never wants that wayward child to come home. It's because he wants you to trust him with that wayward child. Just because he asks you to put something on the altar doesn't mean that he wants it to die. It just means that he doesn't want it to control you. There might be things he asks us to lay on the altar for a season because it's just become a little bit too important. A hobby maybe that's consumed us a little too much. Something going on in our family that's just taken too much of our focus and God says, let's lay it on the altar because I don't want it to control you. And I don't want anything in your life to be more important than me. I'll be transparent with you guys today. God, God has taken me through this process this year. And the thing that was controlling me was food. I'd been controlled by food. I'd been consumed by eating. I'd been eating too much eating too much junk food, eating too much desserts, eating until I'm full and then eating again. And most of it, honestly, was comfort eating. It's been a stressful year. And rather than trusting God in the midst of that stress, I started overeating. 
And about a month and a half, two months ago, God said, you need to put that food on the altar. I don't want that to have control over you. God said, I've got a lot for you to do, Aaron. And you're starting to get overweight. And you don't have the energy that you need to do all the things I'm asking you to do. Your muscles are starting to get sore. He says, this can't control you anymore. And so I took food and I laid it on the altar. And for three weeks, I did a Daniel fast, which means I cut out everything out of my diet that I love. But you know what? God broke it. And it doesn't control me anymore. God's going to take you through those seasons. Something is controlling you. He's going to say, put it on the altar. Nothing is off limits to God. He can ask for whatever he wants. Number two, go the distance. Go the distance. Halfway is not far enough. Look at verse 4. It says, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. So after he had received this command from God, it says early the next morning, they got up and started traveling. So they'd been traveling for two full days. And can you imagine after traveling for two full days, carrying with you the turmoil of sacrificing your own son, that after two days you would wake up on the third morning and you would be like, okay, God, we've gone far enough. Can we end this charade? Can we stop it now? Haven't I done enough? But no, Abraham went the distance. It says he got up on the third morning and he saw the mountain that they were supposed to climb. And it was still in the distance. He wasn't done with his test yet. He still had to climb that mountain. And I want to encourage you, when you're in your season of testing, halfway isn't far enough. When you're in that struggle and God is challenging your faith, don't stop short. Listen, the passing grade for this test is obedience. That's the passing grade. It's a pass-fail test. There's no B's or C's or D's given out, right? We're not going to skate by as mediocre students. This is pass-fail. Either we go the distance or we don't. Listen to what James the Just, the brother of Jesus, said about this. In James chapter 2, and verses 21 to 23, James wrote, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And you say, wait a minute, James seems to be skirting awfully close here to like a works-based salvation. Well, James was the apostle to the Jews, so it makes sense that James would skirt as closely as possible to what would look like a works-based salvation. But that's not what he's teaching. What did he say here? He said it was works that was birthed out of Abraham's faith. 
The things that we do, our obedience in this life, is a confirmation of our faith. We're not saved by the works. The works confirm the faith that is already at work in our hearts. And what did James say? James said that through this, Abraham's faith was perfected. Why does God take us through these tests? Because he wants to perfect your faith. He wants to take your faith to a new level. And the passing of the test is obedience, but it's obedience that flows from the faith that's already at work in your hearts. Go the distance. Pass the test. Don't stop short. Number three, we will return to you. I've read this story many times, but this particular verse never jumped out at me before until I was studying this week. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. He said, we will return to you. Isaac and I, both of us, are going to go up the mountain and worship, and then both of us are going to come back and return to you. You say, why is that significant? Because Abraham didn't doubt that one way or another, he was going to come back down that mountain with Isaac. Listen to how it words it in Hebrews 11, which is the great faith chapter. Starting in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So Abraham had the faith. Abraham believed he was going to go up that mountain, murder his son, and then God was going to resurrect his son, and he was going to walk back down that mountain with his son. Abraham's faith never wavered. One way or another, God is going to bring us through this. One way or another, I'm still going to have the promise. And I think it's important for us in the midst of our tests that we have this same faith, a resurrection-type faith. Because let's be honest, Abraham figured, I already received Isaac from the dead once because Abraham and Sarah were already old and past the age of giving birth and giving life, and yet out of that season of death, God gave them Isaac once out of death. He believed if God did it once, God can do it again. He can give me Isaac out of death a second time. So I'm going to go to the top of the mountain and do what God told me to do. And we have got to be a people of faith that when God calls us to lay things on the altar, that when God calls things to die in our life, that we're going to do what God said to do, knowing that resurrection life is going to come through our obedience. We're going to return. Both of us are going to walk back down this mountain. One way or another, God is going to fulfill His promise. God promised that all my blessings would come through Isaac. So one way or another, God is going to fulfill that promise. And it's important for us in our seasons of testing that we remind ourselves 
of the promises of God. We remind ourselves of the promises He's already fulfilled in our lives so that we remember that God is a promise-fulfilling God. Number four, your kids will catch the faith you model. Your kids will catch the faith you model. We don't know how old Isaac was when they walked up the mountain that day. The Bible never says. Now, we can gather a couple of clues. One clue is that it refers to him twice as a lad, which means he's not a full-grown man yet. He's still somewhere in childhood or adolescence, maybe a teenager, somewhere in that ballpark. So he's not a full-grown man yet. But we do know that he is full-grown enough that Abraham laid the entire stack of wood on his back, and he carried the entire stack of wood up the mountain. How much wood? Enough wood to light a fire big enough to completely consume a human being. That much wood. So Isaac was not a little kid. Isaac was sturdy enough. That's why I think he was probably a teenager, because he was sturdy enough to carry a whole stack of wood up the mountain by himself. So why is this important? You say, what are you getting at, Pastor? Isaac did not have to lay on the altar. That's what I'm getting at. If he was big enough and strong enough to carry a stack of wood up a mountain then I'm pretty sure he's big enough and strong enough to stop his 115-year-old dad from doing anything to him. Right? Now, my boy is 15 now, and he's already taller than me, and he can talk all the trash he wants because I know I can still take him. Right? He might be able to run faster, jump higher, he might be smarter than me, but I could still take him. But that day's going to come as I get older and he keeps getting bigger. That day's going to come when I can't take him anymore. See, Abraham couldn't take Isaac anymore. That's why Isaac was carrying the wood. The only thing Abraham was carrying was a knife and some flint rocks to make a fire. Isaac was carrying everything else. Isaac didn't have to lay on the altar. He stood there and let his dad tie his hands up and tie his feet up. He didn't have to. He could have said, no way, Dad. You're nuts. I don't know what you're hearing from, but it's not God. He could have pushed his dad down and walked away. But Isaac laid on that altar. Why? Because Isaac had caught his dad's faith. And your kids will catch the faith that you model. Isaac grew up seeing a dad who trusted God with everything. Seeing a dad who worshipped God. Seeing a dad who was willing to pay the price to be obedient to God. He saw a dad who experienced all the blessings of walking in the favor of God. Your kids are going to catch the faith that you model. And more is caught than taught. 
You can talk all you want. You can try to teach lessons all you want. But they're going to catch way more from your life than you can ever teach them with words. So what kind of faith are our kids seeing? Are they seeing just a cultural faith? Which just says, well, we just go to church because it's just part of what our family does. But they don't see any transformational power in your life. Do they see a self-consumed faith? That says, yeah, we go to church, but we're just looking for God to bless us and make our lives happy. Do they see a faith that has no priority to it? Yeah, we'll go to church when it works, but if something more important comes up, we'll always go do something more important. What kind of faith do they see? Or do they see a faith that is transformational? Do they see a faith in your life that is sacrificial? Do they see a faith in your life that has been prioritized above all else? Do they see an obedient faith in your life where you've been obedient to God? Do they see a loving and serving faith where by your faith you have loved and served those around you? Do they see a a generous faith? They're going to catch the faith that is modeled in your home. We can all look good at church. We can put on a collared shirts. We can come to church. We can look really good for two hours. But your kids see the real faith every other day at home and how it impacts us. Isaac caught the faith of his father. And when it came time to lay on the altar, it wasn't just Abraham that says, I trust God. It was Isaac that says, I trust God. And I trust that my dad hears from God. And if my dad said that God should do that, that we should do this, then we're going to do this. And if my dad believes that God's going to bring me back to the dead, from the dead, then I believe that I'm going to come back from the dead. So I'm going to lay on this altar. Man, if we want the word of God to be preeminent in our kids' lives, then they better see it being preeminent in our lives. We want them to study the word. We got to study the word. We want our kids to be generous. They got to see us being generous. We want our kids to have conviction when they are tempted to do the wrong things. Then they better see us having conviction when we're tempted to do the wrong things. They need to see a faith that is genuine in our lives that they can catch for their lives. Whew, I'm getting fired up now. Isaac laid on the altar voluntarily. Number five, God provides the sacrifice. The angel steps in at the last possible seconds, right? Could you imagine if Abraham was hard of hearing? (laughs) Didn't hear the angel yelling, stop, right? Did you have to wait that long, God? I mean, once he tied his hands up, Hadn't he proved himself? No, he waits until the knife is in the air. And the angel intervenes. But the moment the angel intervenes, suddenly there's a ram right there caught in the thorn bush. God provided the sacrifice. And this is amazing because God uses the test of Abraham's faith as an opportunity to foreshadow Christ Jesus himself. 
that instead of Isaac dying on that altar, God would provide the sacrifice to die on that altar. And now in this life, we're the ones who deserve to die as the punishment for our sin and our brokenness, as a punishment for every time we have turned away from God. But God doesn't put us on that altar. God provided the sacrifice. He sent his own son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice for us. And it says in verse 14 that Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. In Hebrew... That's Jehovah Jireh. He named that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And then from then on, it became a proverb. It became a saying in Abraham's family and amongst the people of Abraham. It became a saying, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It became a rallying cry for their faith. That when we live on the mountain of God, God will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh to this day. He is the same God. And he is the same God who provided the sacrifice in our place so that we don't have to die for our sins. And he is the same God that provides for us today every need in our lives. God provided the sacrifice. Let me invite the worship team to come back today. Number six, passing the test unlocks the promises of God. Passing the test unlocks the promises of God. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord declared, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. We need to hear this. Because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, then what does he do? He repeats all of the same covenant promises from Genesis chapter 12. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. There is a because in there. My promises are unlocked because you did something. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the covenants, and if you missed this sermon, go back to our website and listen to it. We looked at all the covenants, and the key thing about the covenant of Abraham is that it was conditional. That means Abraham had some requirements, and God had some requirements. God's requirements were all of these same promises we just read. Abraham's requirements was circumcision, and obedience through faith. That was his side of the covenants. And we, as followers of Jesus, are walking in the same covenant today. Our requirements, circumcision is different. It's now the circumcision of our hearts done by Jesus, not circumcision in the flesh done by a doctor. But the other part of our requirements in our covenant relationship is obedience through faith. Passing the test unlocks the promises of God in our lives. I want us to go back to promises never fail. I believe that's a song that God wants to minister to us today. God has spoken promises over your life. Every one of us. There are promises in the Bible that speak to each of us. 
But there are also individual unique promises that God has spoken over you. And remember, the principle of the promise is that there is a waiting period between the time the promise is given and the time the promise is fulfilled. And in that waiting period, God is going to test your faith. And nothing is off limits. He can ask for anything to test your faith. If you think you've got it bad, read the book of Job. What did God ask for to test his faith? Everything. Everything he lost. But when we're willing to be obedient, when God asks for anything, and we're willing to put anything on the altar, and we're willing to go the distance, and we're not going to waver, what's going to happen? The promises are going to be unlocked. There are promises that you have been waiting for, And you say, why haven't they come yet? Well, one reason is because of God's timing. God will fulfill His promises in His timing, not ours. But the second reason they haven't come yet is because we haven't passed every test yet. There's still some tests that are lying before us. And God is still perfecting our faith. And as we pass those tests, and as we show our faith through our obedience... We're going to see the promises of God unlocked in our lives. There are great things still on the horizon. Will you stand with me today? Let me invite the prayer team to come. Sorry, guys. Anybody that's on our prayer team, will you come up here and spread out around the altar? And I want to invite you today to come receive prayer. Maybe you're going through a season of testing right now and you're not sure if your faith is going to pass the test. You're struggling. God's asking something of you and you're not sure if you're willing to lay it on the altar. Or you're just tired and you need the strength to go the distance. I want to invite you to come for prayer. If there's promises in your life, maybe you've given up on them. Maybe you've lost hope in them. I want to invite you to come for prayer. I believe that today is a day of fulfilling the promises of God. Today is a day where we are going to rise up and pass the test. But let's not go through the test alone. Let's come up and let's let some of the leaders here of the church join us in prayer. And let's pray together. And let's get through these tests. And let's see our faith stand. And let's see our faith be perfected. And let's see the glorious promises of God unlocked in our lives and in our church. God, we invite you now. Oh, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you call us forward, Lord? Oh, would you strengthen us for the fight? Oh, would you give us the courage for the sacrifice? God, I pray today for an open hand. I just got the vision right now of an open hand. We cling so tightly to things, even things that are hurting us, even things that are destroying our faith, things that are causing consequences in our lives, and yet we hold so tightly to them because they're comfortable, because they feel natural, because they're easier. And I just saw an open hand. I believe that God is saying it's time to let go. Now is a moment of letting go. Letting go of those things that you have clung so tightly to. 
so that instead of those things, you can have the promises of God. God, unlock your promises today. Open up our hands today. Set us free from the things that have controlled us today so that, God, you are the only thing we'll trust. You're the only thing that will have control in our lives. Open up our hands today, God. Thank you for that in Jesus' name.